0: You ready? Yep. Parshas Vayishlach. Okay. Parshas Vayishlach, it starts from chapter 32, verse 4. It was on page in Nacho, I don't remember. Remember we had on, what page is it? Kof Lamed Bezatim. Vayishlach. Vaishla Reshmemal in that Chumash Page 241 That one and the blue Chumash It's 171 171 171 Okay and people let's make sure that we leave the hayenos Where everybody can use them Okay So Chayenu it's on page whatever I don't know what page it is I so we have one, seven, one, two, uh, whatever. I forgot the numbers ready. My brain, my brain is slightly fried. Okay. So good morning. We're starting with Parashat VaYishlach. Today is the seventeenth day of Kislev, and it happens to be that it's my mother-in-law's birthday. It's, it's almost birthday. It is. So I want to dedicate our learning to her for being super awesome and positive and such a light for Yerushalayim and anybody who knows her knows that. She, she sets the by heart the bar very high for what you're she doesn't like if I call her old. That's like there are other people who are the old people. She's not one of the old people, but she sets the by heart for how we should live our life in a way that's positive and giving and caring and uh, we could all take a little bit of that positivity and a little bit of that energy that would be What's your my shvigger, my shvigger, oh, yeah. Oma. Yeah, it's Oma, Oma gets that in her birthday today, so yeah. She, yeah. she likes every single <laughs> shavas. She comes to show every single yeah, 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 yeah. shavas. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. Like, yeah. Even Like, I'm saying hello. Like, she hosts, she hosts when it's a small table, she has 12 to 14 wow. people. When it gets a little bit bigger, it's 18. It's always fine. It's always, she says to me. I used a shortcut. I took pre-cut lettuce to make a salad. I figured you're hosting 15 people for Shabbos day. That's not wow. shortcut. <laughs> so really, we should have some of her her yes. lichtike, some of her positivity, and she should have many many years of of health and brachas to enjoy her children and her grandchildren, her great grandchildren, and all the family by choice that she's sort of collected around her. So this class is dedicated for her. Um, okay, parshas Vayishlach. If you remember from last week, which was such a long time ago, last week, right? The end of last week's parsha was when Yaakov was leaving Lavan's house. He'd been there for twenty years. He had his family, his wealth, his wives and children, and da da da. And the end of last week's parsha was uh, the last showdown. It was Lavan where On said, you know, why did you run away? I wanted to hug the children, and da-da-da. And basically, they signed an agreement that we're not going to have anything bad to do with each other. They set up a stone, and they said we're only crossing this stone for commerce. We're not doing anything, you know, we're not going to do for war, anything like that. And and sort of gives a warning that just remember if you... It, I was rereading it recently, and I was like, it was so, it was so interesting to me as a parent. That Lovin says to him. He says to him in chapter 31, verse 40. No, 50. 30, not 50, 50. He basically says, like if you um, if you take other wives on my daughters or you don't behave nicely to my daughter, Lovin says. Basically, I'm gonna I'm gonna cross this stone if you aren't good to my girls. That's how I read it. Maybe I added the inflection, but I thought after everything was said and done, uh, that was an interesting an interesting take for me a takeaway. Like at the end of the day, you know, he is their father and he was like, I'm gonna get you if you do. Yes, he's the Yes, he's the grandpa of the Schwatin. Well, yes. Okay. Put that into perspective, right? Um, I don't like that. <laughs> why? Why? Yes, he's not nice. So, so, so I'll tell you what's so interesting about Lovon, right? That and and I think we've spoken of it. I want to mention it briefly. Like his name, his name Lovon is white. It's like, and we always know, like white is associated with good and yeah. whatever. And and Lovan is the force. He's the grandfather who says, "I only have your best interest at heart." And to untangle that relationship and say, actually, no. Actually, you're, you're not a good guy. Actually, you're not as white as you portray yeah. yourself. You actually don't want our best... You don't have our best interests in our life. You don't really want... That take, that's a 20-year process. That's a 20-year process for Yaakov to have to work through that relationship and that person... To see that he's not actually that great. I'm sure Yaakov was clued into it earlier than the end, but but I, I think for us, what's what's the... Yaakov's here for 20 years... He's there for 20 years. Part of what he's... A very big part, which we spoke about, is he's going there to elevate sparks. So to elevate sparks from the beer hug of love is very hard. Because you have to be able to say, oh... That's a creep up <laughs> Yeah, this is yeah. not okay. This is not okay. You know, they're holding me so tight. You know, like... And to, to come to the place, that's a very long avoidant. Here, in our Parsha is going to have his next nesani. He's going to meet up with Asa, his brother, but very clearly says, I want you dead. I want to kill you. That is not a long encounter. When you know somebody is in front of your face who really doesn't, you know, doesn't pretend to be your friend, even if he is officially his brother, but he doesn't, he's, like, he's very clear about his intentions. I want you, I want you dead. So to deal with that, it, it's a process, but it's not as long and as convoluted as having to deal with the process of somebody who portrays himself as your friend, as your savior, as your, you know, I only have your best interest at heart who says, I'm such a topic. What do you? How could you accuse me of nefarious uh, shenanigans? That's a good word, by the way. Nefarious hmm. is a good word. Hmm. Shenanigans is not the best. I, was, I lost the word, though, right? But how could you say that? That's a much harder process, and I think in our lives we see the same thing. You know, the person who you know doesn't want your best interest. No. Okay, so you know how to... I'm not saying it's easy. I'm not saying, oh, you don't have to deal with it. You do have to deal with it. But the way you deal with a force that you know doesn't have your best interest at heart, that's very different than somebody who's like, oh, sweetie, but is this really what you want to be doing? That's a much harder... It's a much harder thing yeah, to... It's like gaslighting you into, like... Yeah, meaning, like like yeah, This yeah, whole exactly. about him coming, like... Exactly, exactly, larger. exactly. Yeah, a nice like, modern term. Like, we were so happy together. Like, you know yeah. what I mean? Like, uh-huh. we, were, we were so excited, like, to be together. Whatever, like... So, love and was last week, exactly. Yeah. Levin was last week, and that's a long process. That's 20... It's only one Parsha, but it's 20 years. ASAP is going to be a much quicker situation. Mm-hmm. So, our Parsha's opening up, where Yaakov sends messengers or angels to his brother. He's coming back after 20 years. He doesn't really know what's going on. He doesn't know what the lay of the land is. He doesn't know what he's coming up to. So he sends messengers to go check out the situation. And what do they come back? And they say, "Um, he's coming at you with 400 people. Looks like an army to us. Right? It's interesting because the Mepharshim actually read it differently. Some of the Mepharshim say that it was a place of joy that Ace, it's very hard to understand Ace of. Like, meaning on the one hand, he has very clear statements of, I hate my brother, and I want to kill him, and I want him dead, and all this kind of stuff. And on the other hand, some of the, his behavior seems to be like, so, okay, so the Canaanite women that I married weren't good. Okay, so I'll take a, I'll marry a daughter of Yishmael. That was in, you know, last week's partial. Like, all these different kind of, sni- or two weeks ago, all these little snippets of, he's not just plain old Evil. He's complicated, right? So different. So some of the say that Asab is coming with an army of four hundred people, and he's and there's a war at hand. And the Rashbam actually says it, it's a neutral statement. He, the, the angels come back; they don't say what he wants. They don't say your brother's coming to kill you. They say he's coming. Uh, where are we? Uh, in, in verse seven. So the angels come back and they say, "We came to your brother to asaph and he's coming towards you with 400 men. Now, there is no um, intonation in Torah. So we don't know if there's like, he's coming with 400 people. Or they're like, oh my gosh, he's coming with 400 people. It's like a party. Like, you don't hear that intonation. So the Rashbom actually says it's not clear what Asa's intention is. Now, Rashi says he's coming for war. So, on, on a certain level, like, there's definitely both of those things, possible things going on over here. Um, and so Yaakov actually prepares for all eventualities, right? He's going to take a three-pronged approach and he, on the one hand, he's going to try to, to bribe his brother, he's going to dive in and he's also going to prepare for war. And preparing for war is where he's going to split up his camp into two, he split up his whole camp into two camps so at least one will survive. I mean, if one gets attacked, the other one will survive and he goes through this whole situation um, uh, of, of what he's going to do. And, and then what happens? Once Yaakov starts making all these preparations, then uh, and he davens right, um, and one of the things that's such a powerful line in chapter thirty-two, verse eleven, he davens Hashem and he says, I'm I'm humbled from all the kindness and all the truth that you've given to me because with I crossed this 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 Jordan, I crossed this river with just a stick in my hand, and now I'm coming back and I have two camps worth of People, like people and animals, and so much. I have so much now. He's, because I'm humbled by this, and it's very interesting that this Shabbos is Yitzchak's slave. And when the Alter Rebbe gets out of jail, he actually writes a letter to his Hasidim, and it starts off with the words "Katva Timu Kala Hasadim." He's humbled by all the the goodness that Hashem has given him. Yeah. Right? So he says to Satan, um, and uh, and in this in this prayer in this prayer that he says in in Pasuk Yud Gimel in verse 13, he says, Yaakov is talking to Hashem and he says, and you said, I will do good to you and I will make your children flourish, whatever. So whoever we, if we were last night at Sama and the woman who was talking, she actually referenced this Pasuk that that's what we need to do now. We need to go to Hashem and say, God, you promised. You promised it's going to be okay. So let's do it. Okay, so that's our first aliyah. It's, it's just sort of the preparation. The of I think it's the Rebbeim of I don't remember. He says that the whole pasuk, not the whole pasuk, the whole parsha could be read on two different levels. One, and, and he sort of gives his he gives an explanation taking the whole thing, the whole encounter with Esav on two levels. One is where Yaakov is speaking to Esav or to the messengers of Esav, that frontal thing, and the other one is where he's talking to the angel of Esav. So we have, and we were looking, when we had class classes day. we were looking at the, the wording, and it says, uh, he says, um, let me just go back, and he says, uh, he says, this, so should you say, Ladonila l'esav, to my master Esav. So the Mepharshim, I want to know, is this word adoni, is it my master, or is it the name of God? Mm-hmm. And, and, and the Rebbeinah Baha'i says, it's actually, both. There's two conversations going on. There's one conversation going towards it. Esav, and there's another conversation where this whole, his whole everything is not directed to Esav. It's only directed to God. So, in Pshat, you could, it, it could actually, in Pshat, it looks like he's, it's one level. He's, he's dealing with Esav, and he's splitting and all this whole situation, but, the, but there is also a, a way to look at it where he's not even dealing with a physical person. He's dealing with a celestial argument and conversation. In fact, According to Rav Yehuda, all those gifts that he sends are also going to be like gifts and karbanos for the, for Hashem. It has nothing to do with Asa It's whole. But many, the Rav Yehuda sees it as a, a two-track going. Like there's, and he translates everything on both things. But we're going to try to make some sense of what's going on over here. Um we can ask what was actually, the purpose of him, the offerings to Hashem at this point. So, because, because if the question is what, just like I, I don't want to, I, I hesitate to use this expression, but I'm going to use it anyway. Just like he was going to try to bribe Esav, he's also doing that same attitude of gifts to Hashem. So, like we're coming back, we're restarting. It's like we've done the Gullah situation, right? We're coming back to Eretz Yisrael. We're coming back. We're really starting. So, how do we do it? We do it with this place of gratitude and with this place of thanks. The Mefarshim have a whole conversation, more like in the Kabbalah and Chassidus place, of how could these be? How could these be sacrifices? They're not. Most of them are not kosher animals. Mm-hmm. So that's that's carbonus of klipa. Like that's mm-hmm. that's not something we could do. But Yaakov, yeah, so, so did did he actually offer off all those animals as sacrifices, or is it an an emotional headspace of I'm giving this to you, Hashem? So. Yeah, so it goes, but that's that's what it would seem to be the reasoning for mm-hmm. for, for doing that. Um, okay, so in at the middle in the middle of the night, in the middle of the night, uh, he starts to he's oh sorry, he's going he's going to send gifts to Esav, and he sends an enormous amount of animals. And Rashi says that he actually sends as many male and female animals of each species species yeah. yeah. Um, th- how many males to female? What the ratio is for those particular animals? How do they? How do they have their family life? How do they? Does camel? Uh, I think uh, not camel. Uh, uh, camels, I think there's one male to one female, whereas in the in the in the in the in the, the, the flock the cows and the bulls there's like the proportions are different. But that's that's for the animal People to double check that that's you know accurate. That's what Rashi says. And then what he does is he tells... He takes this massive amount of of gifts and, you know, like... You know how everything's in the marketing? He doesn't put it all together. He puts, like, an eye... um, I'm losing my English. He spaces them so that as the first group is coming closer, over the horizon, you start to see the next group. So there's, like, a lot of space between each of these things. So it's not like here's all the presents, it's like, here's a present, here's another one, here's another one, right, so he spaces every single one of those groups out, which makes it bigger, it's not like, here, here's all your gifts, it's like, have one, and another one. And a third, right? They're none of them. None of them are small. These are all massive no, gifts. But 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 giving it in in those groups sort of makes it even bigger. It's sort of the, in the marketing of it. It makes it an even bigger, yeah. uh, no, and even like, bigger. You know how it's better to give Sadaka to
1: hundred people. Mm, nice, nice. It's, a, it's, nice. The thing.
0: it's almost like just the act of giving or the act of receiving is bigger than the actual. So, right. So, so that's in the positive. Here, Rashi seems to ha- uh, highlights the fact that it was. Because he's he, the personality of Ace of is that he always wants more and more and more. So it's to sort of satisfy that I could never have enough. You know, whoever dies with the most toys wins, that's Ace of attitude. Mm-hmm. That's that's the goal that we're in. So to sort of start to counter that, that's how he, he, he spaces things out in a way that it's not easy. I um. uh, regret to like, I can just ask how do you know who to give to? Is it to anyone who asks or? Or like is there is certain people you should it's, prioritize? It's 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 a longer conversation. It's a longer conversation. The quick answer is it it actually depends. I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm not being snarky about this, but I think a lot of it depends on how much you have to give. If you have, you know, we have a shekel to give every single day, give it to whoever asks. You know? If you have significant amounts to give, then you need to start prioritizing. My father in law, Oliver Shalom always said, if somebody asks you for money, then you should just give them something. It doesn't mean you have to give them Lots and lots of money, but you know we don't want to be the ones who are saying no. So. But I just really noticed today, for some reason, I was like, well, like he didn't even look at me; he just like turned away his head. Like when I. I like,
1: so I it's, it's it's a longer it's a longer
0: it's a longer conversation, <laughs> conversation. And welcome to Jerusalem. It's like uh, it's not the capital of of collecting in the world, but it sometimes feels like that. Um, <laughs> okay. So the, he sends off the gift. I'm happy to discuss it later, but I just yeah. Okay, and then in the middle of the night. In the middle of the night, he starts to move the family over another river. And what happens over here? And this is where he has his wrestling match. He has a wrestling match with the angel. Okay, we're at chapter 32, verse, 30, verse 25. Um, he moves up over and, um, and he, he, he wrestles with a man. I'm just trying to think. Um, okay, Rashi says that Yaakov is by himself. Rashi says that he left small pachim ketanim. he left little jugs, and he went back for it. Um, and in and, 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 and Hasidus, they say, like, so, so the Gemara talks about the idea that, that tzaddikim, anything that isn't a tzaddik's possession, it's purposeful and meaningful, so you don't just say, oh, it's nothing, you know, let it go. You have to be, there are sparks of holiness in everything, and you have to go back and get it. You know, you have to take care of your possessions. Um, but Rashi describes it as Pachim Ketanim. And and and, and Kabbalah pick up from that. And they say, what Pachim Ketanim did Yaakov go back for? And I'll give you a hint. It has to do no with way. our upcoming holiday. No way. It's the, the jugs of oil? The jug of oil. Are you joking? I didn't make it up. I'm just telling you what they say. That it's... Now, what is he going back? He's going. Now, clearly, that isn't the jug of oil that they were going to find later on in Hanukkah. But the, 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 the wording and the connotation, so they say, like, nothing that a tzaddik does is purposeless. So when he goes back for a small jug, he's going for the jug of oil that we're going to need to use in the menorah on Hanukkah. Okay? So when we go find one, Yaakov has already found it for us. Okay. Now again, I'm not saying it's the same jug of oil, but the spiritual hyperlink is there. So that's what he's going back for, and um, and he's there by himself, and um, and then uh, and then he struggles with a person till till the dawn breaks. Right. Um, um, Russel Vechik actually says that when it says, how could he be by himself and then he struggles with a man? It says. But he was left by himself, and he struggled with a man. So he's left by himself. So he's left by himself, right? So Rav Soloveitchik talks about the idea that he was struggling with himself. That there was that, that it's like an internal struggle that's going on. Rashi says that the ish is the malach; it's the tsar, it's the minute; it's the every single nation has a, a, every single nation has an angel that acts as their advocate in heaven. Mm-hmm. And so Yaakov is actually Rashi says Yaakov is having a showdown with the Malach of Esav. He's going to have this this match. They're wrestling. It's very very close. It's you don't know, you ever see wrestling? I I, I as a whole, whole I don't watch it, but I do have six brothers, so I've seen people wrestle. It's very close. It's very intimate. It's very it keeps flipping and turning, um, and 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 it's it's not so clear who the winner is till the end. In this particular case, for sure, right? So, um, so he, so they have this whole struggle, and then the angel sees that he can't, he can't, uh, he can't win. So he injures him. He injures him in his sciatic nerve, um, and then the angel says to him in verse twenty-seven, he says, uh, he says, "Let me go because the the it's, it's, the sun is coming up." And Rashi says it was this angel's turn to go ben chasen. Every single angel has a time that they go say, Kaddish, Kaddish, Kaddish Hashem. And it's my turn now. Like, yeah, I got to get out of here. I have things to do, right? And, um, and, so Yaakov, and so Yaakov says, I'm not letting you go until you bless me. And the angel's like, you know, whatever. And so he says, what's your name? And he says to him, my name is Yaakov. He says, you're not going to be called Yaakov anymore. This is very in chapter uh, chapter thirty two verse twenty nine. He says, "You're not going to be called Yaakov anymore. Ki Yisrael, you will be called Yisrael. Ki Imalokim, imelokim veimana because you grappled with men and with uh, with God and with men and you prevailed." Okay, and so he lets him go. I want to stop here for two minutes. First of all, um, when we talk about when we talk about. Uh, like, what's going on, right? So there is this, this this showdown that's happening between Yaakov and Esau. It's happening through the angel first, because he's his real force. Esau is the person here, but if we can beat him spiritually, then the rest of it is going to fall into place. And where does the angel hurt Yaakov? He hurts him over here. Sort of huh? by sciatic nerve, right? But it's, it's near his procreation area. He himself, Yaakov, he's fine what about your children? Are your children, the what is going to be your future? Is that going to be fine? And essentially, Yaakov comes back and says, yes, we're going to be okay. When Esav says to him, and later on in the meeting with Esav, he's going to say, who are these people? How could you, where do they come from? And Yaakov says, these are the children that Hanani Hashem has graced me with. Esav is asking an existential question. He's like, how do you have identifiably Jewish children When you came back from 20 years in Lovin's house, how did that happen? How did you do that? How is that even possible? Why didn't everybody just throw in the towel? Why did they not, like, how do you have anybody with you who's? who are these people? How did that happen? And Yaakov says, We have challah, we have nida, we have ner. If we keep our mitzvahs, then it doesn't matter what environment we're in. It doesn't matter what's happening around us. If we can create a space of holiness and tire and mitzvahs, even if we're in Haran, which is a place that is so the antithesis of Hashem and everything around it, we can hold on to it. And our children, of you think you're going to be, you're stronger. You are definitely, you know, we've been in this exile for such a long time. Edom is very strong. But if you want to know where our real strength is, our real strength is, is that we have Torah and mitzvahs and we will create children who will be proud Jews who will continue in that in that way. And it doesn't matter what you throw at us. It doesn't matter if you throw, throw you know pogroms at us or TikTok. It doesn't matter. Like Whatever it is that you're throwing at us, we have the inner strength because we know who we are and we know what we're here for and we know what our purpose is. And therefore, it doesn't matter what our surroundings look like. We will be able to be identifiable strong Jews. Yako's going to actually have to heal from this, but that's really Asa's complaint. He's like, forget about you. What? How did you? How did you manage to? How did you manage to have children that are identifiable? And, not, and later on, in the physical confrontation, they're going to, they're going to have that conversation. But um, so, so. But this is really where the war is going on. Now, I want to say another thing. I actually want to say two more things, and we're going to move on from this. One thing that I want to say is, one thing that I want to say is that. Um, it's very important if you take a look at the end of their little fight over here, an all-night fight, right? So Yaakov says, "I'm not letting you go until you bench me, until you give me a bracha." And I think, and the Rebbe talks about it a lot, and I think it's very important to highlight: we all have times of challenge in our life. We there are things that we struggle with. It's dark outside. We feel like we're by ourselves. And we just feel like what's going on and we're struggling. The end of that struggle does not happen until we can look at the darkness and say, bless me. What what blessing am I going to get from having had the struggle? It's not enough to just say, I'm out of there. That's great. That's important. But the bigger question that we need to ask ourselves is, why did I have that? What was that struggle all about? What am I gaining? What bracha am I gaining for having had to have that struggle? I don't know if that was a correct English sentence, but you understand what I'm saying? And that's one of the things that Yahweh is saying. It's not just enough, I won, I'm out of that. What am I gaining from this? What is my what is what is the benefit to my neshama and to myself from having had that struggle? that's the answer. Then, 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 then once you can find that, then you're really on the other side of it. That It's really that's not a struggle anymore. That's very interesting. That's very interesting that it's once you've released it and then you've looked at it from a different perspective and say, this is my blessing. And it, bless it, it, me. And then it releases you almost. Exactly. Jacob is yeah. yeah. saying to his darkness, bless me. Wow. The recognition <laughs> is what turns out it's exactly. Yeah. 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 I, I love to. Okay. Yeah. Um... Okay, the last thing I want to say about this and then we're going to move on to other things is um, if you take a look, I want to say two things actually, but one, we'll start with one. Um, the, the, there was a Hasidic Rebbe, his name was Reb, Reb Leibela Leib Eger, who was actually a grandson or a great-grandson of Rabbi Akiva Eger who was not a Hasid. And, um, and Reb Leibela Eger says that we were named incorrectly because what does Kisa Risa mean? Look at the passage. He says, the angel says, the angel says, you're not going to be called Yaakov, you're going to be called Yisrael. Because you struggled with God and with man, and you prevailed. So Reb says, we should have been called Bnei the people who prevailed. Mm. That's what our name should be. But what are we called? We're called Yisrael. Because it's the struggle that's important. It's Meaning, it's, yes, the prevailing is important, but when we say and it talks about it in Tanya also, when we say to ourselves, but why am I having this struggle again? I thought I dealt with this. I thought I finished this. I thought I, you know, ticked that box and I'm done. That's not the point. The point isn't, we're not, I mean, I don't know about anybody else in this room. I'm not, <coughs> I'm, so, not, not? a tzadik. I'm not a yeah. I haven't reached that stage of my service of Hashem that I should just be like, oh, it's all autoglide. You know, I'm on autopilot on the highway and I'm seeing, like, nice scenery and everything's just beautiful. No, we're, like, in, you know, traffic and side detours and all these kind of crazy things that happen to us. And we're like, why, why, why? Why? Because that's where our inviting is. That's really where our service is. Not necessarily, we're not, we, like, in a way, I say this to myself, like, it's arrogant to expect it to just be smooth. What have we, we have, yes, there are certain things that are smooth in our lives. Baruch we don't struggle for every single thing. Thank you, God. But the fact that we struggle at all, that's part of our makeup. in Melakimim, Manasha Betuchal, that our place is to grapple with the things that we do know and that we, to make the right choice, is always a challenge, well, not always, but it's very often a challenge for us. I'm not going to say it's always. It is always a challenge. As we learn and as we grow and as we exercise our (coughs) spiritual and emotional muscles, a lot of our choices become easier to make. But there's always something that's still there on the burner that's like, (sighs) don't I get to rest a little bit? And one of these are like, like we is saying is, we are the children, the struggle is so important. Don't discount the value of the fact that we struggle. Don't discount the fact that we're getting up and we're trying again, and every day we start the day anew and we start the day and say, okay, today I'm going to do it all better. Today is going to be a better day. That is worth so much. Is it nice when you cross the finish line? Yes. But is it always the way our life lives? No, really not. And so when we get frustrated with ourselves, and maybe nobody else gets frustrated except me, so I'll talk to myself. When I get frustrated that things don't stay static we have to remember that really that's where our vita is our, our vita is in the struggle and that's uh, and that's what we need to we need to really live in that space the last thing that i want to say about yaakov's name change is that we find in the torah that he is continuously called both yaakov and yisrael with avraham once his name gets changed we never hear him called avram again sarai is never sorry again but the thing is that Yaakov and Yisrael really represent different aspects of our relationship with Hashem. And so it's not like we are one or the other. Yaakov is the place of Ekev, you know, Yud Akev, the heel. Yisrael, if you change the words around, is Li Rosh. It's like on the head. So each of those names, even visually, are opposite ends of our, of our spiritual spectrum. In one, we're like the ruler. We got it. It's all put together. And the other one is the Ekeb. It's the heel. And it's so unsensitive. And really, all of those are true. There are times in our life, or times in our day, times in our hour, that we are Yisrael, that we are Li Rosh, not meaning it's a different interpretation than the struggling thing, because Hashem is actually going to rename him at the end of the parsha, so he has two meanings to the name. But the Li Rosh of us being in a place... A super connection and feeling it and being able to access that, thats that happens to us. But we also have places of Ekeb where we're struggling and it's hard and we don't feel so sensitive to the things and the people and Hashem around us. And we have to understand that they're both, both valid at the same time. They're both active at the same time. So that's why Yaakov and Yisrael are names that show up again and again and again. Because we never... To, okay, maybe for the sedekim amongst us, but like we we always are in this place, like we were saying, of struggle of of it's sometimes we're like, wow, we really we ace this, we got it, and sometimes we're like, here we go again, right? And both of those are really true, and both of those really represent the Jewish people. Um, one of the the more modern commentators talks about the idea that um, that Yaakov, the name Yaakov, is. Mainly, but not exclusively, used for times that it talks about Yaakov's personal family, mm-hmm. and Yisroel is talking about stories that have to do with the Jewish people. Mm-hmm. So it's not a hundred percent accurate, but if you sort of track that as a like sort of in the back of your head, it's very it's very often the truth that like even in the pshat you could see that the Yaakov stories have to do more with things that have to do with the family. And stroll has to do with the Jewish people, even though when you learn Hasidus, you know, like, it's all the same thing. And your family, it's all the same thing. But on a Kishan level, that, that is maybe something to sit with. So the name used back and forth isn't significant to his continued struggle throughout? It is. It is. It is. So does he, is it ever just where he's only... Israel and never And then it doesn't no, go back No He's constantly struggling back he's, that. he's constantly referred to By both names mm-hmm. So if you want to say If a name has power Which we know it does So then Why are you not one Why is he not Why is He never is only Yaakov I'm sorry He's yeah. never only Israel yeah. in, the, ah. in, the, in the In the Chumash yeah, yeah. He's Even till the end of his life It's The years of Yaakov It's like So it's, it's, it's I, th- I think it's hopeful for us I think it's hopeful but Abraham never once he. Once he gets changed, you're, you're not allowed to use his other name. Yeah, it's, Abraham it's, was different. Because it's it was a total change, and it, it it was an existential change that didn't go back and forth. Yeah, yeah. But with Yaakov and Yisrael, it's, it's, it's and even you know think of yourself, you know head and 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 heel. You actually see like different times and different spaces where we are where you know we are in that space. And the next thing we have is uh, so Yaakov gets healed, and then we have the the meeting of the meeting of Yaakov and Asa, the physical meeting. And Yaakov is much more confident now. He had the showdown with the angel, and he's ready to like meet him. And um, and he also orders the children how they do it. He puts the kids, you know, in line. Uh, the the maidservants and their children, and the and the then Leah and her children, and then Rachel and her child. She only has one child at that point, point. Um, and one of the things that we see when they actually meet them is that Yosef actually steps in front of his mother. He steps in front of his mother to protect her so he shouldn't be able to, that Asif shouldn't see his mother. He knows his mother is very beautiful. He doesn't want Asif to look at her. So in the lineup, you see that Yosef and Rahul, right? They, they, uh, they, they picture it because Yosef's little. Anybody have any idea how old Yosef is now? Let's think about this a second. Because it's going to become relevant. Because we're going to talk about, about Dina soon. And Dina and, and Yosef were born at the like same time. No, he's not a toddler. He's not a toddler. But if you take a look, right? We know that Yaakov was in... He goes to Lava. He's there for seven years. He marries Leah. A week later, he marries Rahul. Okay? And then he's going to work another seven years. The second seven years is when all the, 11, the twelve children that are going to be born in Chara... Are born in the second seven years. After that, he stays for another, I six. six. I think another six years. He's here for another six years while he works out the, while he works out the payment, right? The sheep. blah, blah we talked about sheep, okay? Who are the last two children who are born? Benjamin and Yosef. Well, Benjamin's born in Israel. Dina, Dina and Yosef. Dina and Yosef are born the last two here. So we could safely assume that they're born in year seven. Okay, so if we have Yosef and Dina born over here. Okay, they spend another six years in Haran, and they start to travel back. So he's at six. He's like, six, six, seven? Is he seven? Is he eight? Maybe he's eight. Right, because as soon as Yosef's born, Yaakov's like, yalla, we're going home. As soon as he has Yosef, he's ready to go back. So all the stories... On the one hand, we talk about like they're so super mature, and you know Rivka getting married or whatever she got married, and then now we have Yosef, and it's something interesting because like you could picture like a seven or eight year old bravado, like I'm going to protect my mom, you know, like you could just see it happening, right? Um, so so they go and they hug, and if you take a look at the word Vaishakeu, it's a chapter. What? Rashi talks about the part of it. It's 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 Rashi brings it, I think um uh and if you take a look at chapter thirty three verse four ace of all sudden he again kind of the complicated ace of situation, they run, he runs, he hugs and he he they hug fall on each other's shoulders and they he kisses him and he hugs him, and if you notice that on top of aishake there are a bunch of dots mm-hmm. in the Hebrew, okay, and Rashi says why uh why do you have all these dots? It's sort of like a hyperlink to say, pay attention over here. Did he hug him and kiss him with his full heart? Did he not? As Khanna pointed out, there are some commentaries they talk about they did that. Aza was actually trying to kill him, he was trying to bite him. Um, so that's one oxygen. And the other is no, you're, he, he really, he was totally overcome with love and compassion for his brother. And he was really, um, he really, you know, kissed him and, and hugged him with his full heart. And in this Rashi, he brings Amr Rabbi Shimon ben Yochai. We know Shimon ben Yochai, the Rashbi. Halacha he be a It's a known. Uh, well, it's not halacha like as in a, as in a law like halacha that you have to do like a a, a mitzvah. But it's a known statement. that Sheesav hates Yaakov. But right now his his mercy was wake, awakened up, and therefore he he really does. Uh, hug him with his full heart which is very interesting if you think about the time period that the Rashbi lived he was living in the times of the persecution of the Romans so he knew he, he knew this he knew this uh, he knew this dictum that's the word for it he knew this dictum well that Asa, uh hates Yaakov and um, and basically what happened we had this I told you about this conversation that they have and and then and then they have the conversation and then Asa sort of melts and he says, come, let's travel together and Yaakov's like, "Yeah, we'll catch up to you. You go on with the kids. It's, it's going slowly. And Hasidus talks about the idea that Yaakov came back after 20 years in Haran and he was ready for Mashiach. But he knew that there was, a, there was a team going on over here. There was a Yaakov and an Asa. Yaakov had to be rectified and Esau had to be rectified. So when he comes to meet Esau, he says to him, I lived with Lavan, I I did all my vita there. What are you up to? Are you ready for it? And the Hasidic reads in the words that Asa is not yet ready for Mashiach. He's not yet it, but he's like inspired and he's like, let's go do this. And Yaakov was like, We'll catch up to you. We'll catch up to you. Like that 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 if we ha- if we aren't yet right now both ready to go into this together in Teretis Yisrael as a messianic space, then we're gonna We're gonna we're gonna you keep doing your thing and I'll do my thing and we'll meet up over there. And Rashi says, how could he say, I'm gonna meet you at Seir because he never comes. Yaakov doesn't come. He doesn't show up there ever. And Rashi says, there's a there's a how does Rashi say there's like a a a tomorrow that's soon and a tomorrow that's further away. He's like, I'm gonna get there. Uh And Rashi says, when Mashiach comes, we're gonna go to the mountain the mountain of Seyr and that's where judgment is gonna happen. We'll catch up over there. That he and it's very interesting that for for many many years there was actually a halacha. There was actually a halacha that um, if a non-Jew asked you where you were going, you would never tell them your destination. You would always tell them a place further, because the assumption was Ace of that they're going to want to do harm to you. So you never give them your final destination, because then they will lie in wait to try to kill you. And in about the 1800s, already the sock that was coming out from the different the different commentators, that that's no longer necessary because we live in a land of laws and morals. Therefore, we don't have to live in anticipation that everybody's trying to kill us every single second. I don't know if that's like, you know, <laughs> it's so funny that we get that, right? Like, but as far as the, the place of not being able to tell a non-Jew where your destination is because you're afraid that they're going to lie and wait and kill you, that at least that is is something that they're saying is no longer something that you have to worry about. Do a comment, a question? No, I just had a... Um, it's interesting how you see the generational patterns of him and his brother don't get along and then it happens with Joseph and his brothers. It's, like, it's almost like until you deal with the... On cycles of For things. sure, absolutely. The first brothers that we actually have in <coughs> Chomish that get along, anybody know? That get along? That get along. Cain and Hevel didn't get along. Right. <laughs> you know, Yitzchak didn't get along. Right. The first brothers that get along are Yisachar and Zavulim and Shimon and Levi. And, and later on we have Moshe and Aaron. So the beginning of Chomish Shemais, wow. which is a mirror of Chomish Barathees, opens up with wow. brothers who do get along. We have a lot of parallels going on. The beginning of Shemais and the beginning of Beratius. and there we start that rectification of, okay, let's pull this together. And how do we do this? Right. Okay. So they have their meeting and they keep going. Next. Um, so Jacob comes to the city of Shechem, and he starts to settle down. Chapter thirty-four. What happens? Chapter thirty-four. It's today's Chomish. It, it, oh, it, yeah. it tells it talks about that Dina the daughter of Leah who she gave birth to Jacob went out to see the daughters of the land and Shem sees her and takes her and lies with her mm. and then he falls in love with her and he has to see Joseph if she can he can marry her Jacob yes, Jacob yeah yes, Jacob She's very little. She's seven or eight years old. Think about that for a second. So mean we, we do have no I wanna say that we do I wanna say that we do have oh no, I wanna I wanna say something we do have two parts of biblical characters. That on the one hand we say that they're not, you know, little kids, right? Rifka at three or four, whatever, was able to take the family's flock to to you know, to the well. And at the other hand we look at them we say she's three she's eight like there's some place where their, their numbers are a little bit more they are they're there they're there and how significant they are depends on I guess how we want to look at it right now but yes she's very little she's how long did it takes to go from that meeting to that meeting seven she's eight she's a little girl how old was ten doesn't say it doesn't say just remember nobody's very old in this picture how old is the oldest of the Shvatim how old is the oldest of the Shvatim if Reuven's born first, how old is Reuven? Maybe like 13? thirteen. Seven and six. 12? Thirteen. Huh? Thirteen. Seven and six is thirteen. thirteen. Oh. But he's got seven. But he's oh, older no. than that. He's, okay. 13, he's 15, probably 15, like fifteen. He's, years. he's fifteen because Shivan and Levi are thirteen. Right? There's there's a, there's a, there's a metric that counts how long, what the spacing was between the between the births. Well, wow. Benjamin is so much younger than all of them. He's like, yeah, he's like seven years younger than everybody else. Mm-hmm. Um, um, a lot of them, of course, talk about the idea that the twins, were, like all the Shvatsim were, were essentially mm-hmm. Irish twins. They're born about 11 months apart so that you, you know. So you can figure out the... They're, they're, they're the Savior there's theirs figures out how old everybody is, but you're not getting anybody. Nobody's 20 over here. You know, they could be a little bit older, a little bit younger, but they're they're not so. Anyway, so so Shem, how old is Shem? It doesn't say. It doesn't say all these, and so he decides he loves Dina and he wants to marry her, and what is the story with the brothers? What do they do? They come back from the field. Yaakov doesn't give an answer to them. He waits. He doesn't answer Shem and his father Chamor. And if we know, if you if you think about the. Uh, Chamor and Khumrius and Gashmius, like it's like we got a lot of very physical stuff going on over here. And he waits till the boys come back from the field. And um and what do they say? What do the brothers say? What do they say, anybody? In verse 13 and 14, we can't possibly give our sister to marry somebody who's not circumcised. circumcised. So, Shem and Hamar, if you can circumcise. So, like, I guess they figure like, that's never going to happen. Um, but they go back and they convince the whole city to? All the men. All the men, obviously, to get circumcised. And on the third day, what happens? They kill all the men. Shimon and Levi. When everybody's in pain, Shimon and Levi. It, it's very interesting. It's discussed. Shnei b'nei Yaakov, the two sons of Yaakov, Shimon and Levi. And how are they described? Achei Dina, the brothers of Dina. Each man takes his sword, and they go and they kill out all the men, and they take their sister back. They bring all the stuff back, and Yaakov says to them, he says to them in verse thirty, that you, uh, you, you have caused trouble for me. It, so, so the the is actually stronger. It says you made me smelly in the eyes, in the in the in the sm- me repulsive, repulsive to the people around smelly. me. Was it continue to Passagoria? Making me repulsive to the land inhabiting the Canaanite, the Canaanite river. Yeah. Um. And the what is that? Pers- 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 yeah. Okay. You want me to continue? Keep going. Yeah. Um. I am few in numbers, so they will gather against me and attack me, and I and my sis- and my household will be destroyed. Okay. Does Yaakov say that what they did was wrong? No. No. What does he say to them? That they put a target yeah, yeah. on his back. Yeah, the timing's bad. Put a target on our back. We're too small. We can't defend ourselves against the obvious onslaught that's going to happen. Um, that, so, so the Mafar- there's a lot of conversation about this. First of all, a lot of the Mefarshim talk about the idea that according to the laws of the Noahide laws, the entire city of Shechem was, in fact, guilty and deserving of the death penalty. Mm-hmm. The laws. When it comes to the Noahide laws, if you don't keep them, you're liable to the death penalty. Okay. And the fact that everybody in the city either helped or was silent during, the abduction. during during the whole abduction of Dina makes them all accomplices and makes them all guilty. Okay. I, I, was, when I was, you know, doing. When I was preparing. I was reading this part again, and I'm like. It feels like we are living history again. Mm-hmm. Like we are, we are actually yeah, living the story again. Yeah. Um, and um, and what happens? And what happens? So a couple of things I'm gonna say. First of all, there was there's a commentator. His name is Robert Samson She lived in the 1800s. Um, he was born like in 1806, 08. passed passes away in 1880 something. Um, he lived in Germany. And he talks about the idea of why did they make... Why did Shimon and Levi have everybody have, be circumcised? So Rav Hirsch says... Because they're, they were using it as a, almost as a tactical measure. On so one I hand, you'd say because they'd, be they'd be weak. Them. No, so your shot your, your would say they would be weak. But he says it's a different thing. He says because in that time, every single city is like this own little fiefdom. Now, how do we make sure that nobody joins the fight? How do we prevent the fight from spreading across the Middle East? So Rav Hirsch said, when they were circumcised, everybody around said, oh, it's just a bunch of Jews who were killed. It doesn't matter. We don't need to get involved. Rav Hirsch says in the 1800s. Boy. It, I, the first time I saw it, it was just like, ah, you know. you, you could, I, 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 I'm just putting it there. I'm not, I'm not giving it any more weight than that. I read it again, and I was like... <laughs> Uh, it's a lot. Um, but I want to say something else. I'm to talk about Shimon and Levi here. There's, the Rebbe has amazing, amazing, amazing sicha about Dina. It's written up, I think, in Torah studies. There's a beautiful, beautiful article on Chabad.org about it. It's called Outgoing Woman. I don't have to give you stuff that you can easily access in English. If you could do it, please do it. And if you don't, I'm going to be so sad because I'm going to have to waste my time giving you over stuff that you could already find. So go look for Outgoing Woman on Chabad.org that talks about the Dina part of the story, but I want to talk about Shimon and Levi for a second because we learn a very interesting thing. We learn the age of when a bar mitzvah boy is bar mitzvah from this story of Shimon and Levi. We learned because it calls them men and they were 13 at the time of the story, so we, from there we learn that a bar mitzvah is 13 years old. Really? Do you want your 13-year-olds doing this? You know? Um uh, so first of all, do not. No, you should not buy your thirteen-year-old Baritzu boys swords and tell them to go practice. No, don't, don't, don't do, make, do not don't do, do this not, at home. Do not here. Right, do not do this at home. But what? What can we highlight from what Shimon and Levi did? Two things. First Loyalty. of all, what? Loyalty. Achedina. They were concerned to the nth degree about what happened to their sister. They weren't content to say, let's let this play out in the court of laws. Let's see what's going to happen. They were like, our sister is being taken and is being abused. We are going to stand up and we are going to have have moral right on our side and we are going to stand up for her, which is one thing that we're going to learn from them. And the other thing that we want to learn, kind of tied into this, such moral clarity there is a right and there is a wrong, and it might not be popular to stand up for the right thing to do, but we are going to do that. And when we say, what do we wish our children to have when they come to, you know, when they, when they, when they come to, of age, bar and bas mitzvah, we want them to A, have such a strong sense of moral clarity and a sense of responsibility. I can respond and I have the ability, right? Responsibility to split it up. I have the ability to respond and I will do it. I'm not going to say, but nobody else is doing it. Everybody else thinks. Now, when you go into the back and even you see, Yaakov doesn't disagree with what they did. He just disagrees with the timing of it, which is a different conversation. Maybe you could say 13-year-old impetuousness. Maybe the timing was, was, was a factor, but they were like, does. this has to be dealt with right here, right now. We're not letting anybody stop us. Because of whatever other considerations that you want to, you want to try to, you want to try to pull something else. No, we're going to deal with this in an expedient manner, and we're going to help our sister. We're going to save our sister. Um, and I, I think that we are literally living in a time now where, um, where that's what our brothers and sisters are doing. They are they have moral clarity, and they're saying we can't let this happen, and we have to take care of our brothers and sisters and we have to go in and get them back Um, so I want to give us all a bracha first of all everybody should be safe physically spiritually emotionally come back you know healthy in, in, in body and soul and all the pieces that need to take it up with your therapist afterwards that's fine but just come back and you know, and have somebody to talk to. That's first of all. Mm-hmm. Um, and for us, I want to give us a bracha that. You know, Yaakov. Yaakov's coming back. He's been struggling for such a long time. He was struggling with lava, and, and he had all this kind of stuff. But oh, sorry, before the end of the parsha, I just want to finish the end of the parsha. Is that Binyamin is born, and Rachel passes away in childbirth. She's buried. By and it's no, not true. She's not buried, She's buried. She's buried on the on the. She's buried on the way to Beis not to She's buried on the way to Beis and um and you know, there's a whole conversation later on. We've had this conversation. We talk about Rachel, so that's the end of this parsha that Rachel is passes away in childbirth. She calls Binyamin Ben Oni the child of my pain, and his father calls him Binyamin the child of my right, my like my right hand man kind of thing. He's the only one of the tribes. That's born in the land of Israel, um, and he, he's he's gonna have a certain, a certain, a certain kind of they like. Were trying to really get him back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, uh, so that's the end of this parsha. So I want to give us a bracha <clears throat> that we'd not be afraid of the stumbling on the road. I mean, we feel like we've we've struggled and we've done. This is where Jacob is. his parsha. He's coming from Lavan. He struggled, it's been hard, it's been difficult, and he just would like a little bit of quiet, and he has this story, and then he has Yosef. It's like, it doesn't end. And and I want to give us all a bracha that we not be afraid of the places where we stumble and where it's hard, that we understand that this is part of our Vida And please, God, Hashem should take away our need to struggle. Once Mashiach comes, things are smooth, and things are easy. And in the Hayom it says... I'm going to finish with this. Not for today. There's a Hayyam, and I forgot, I don't have the date of it, but I can find a few. That when Mashiach comes, it tag, we will yearn for the days of Golis. Because now, in these last minutes of Golis, this is the time that we can make any difference. Our actions change worlds. Our mitzvahs count. Once Mashiach comes, that's when we're on the rocking chair and we're just basking in the glory of God and enjoying everything. Now is the time to Chaperai. Now is the time to like... Grab a mitzvah, grab a good thing, do something. And now we're not afraid of this, we're not afraid of the stumbling blocks. We're not afraid of the struggle because we know like we're at the finish line and we're almost there. And now is our last chance to catch a mitzvah, catch, catch some tehillim, cat whatever it is that we need to do, now is the time that we have to actually pull it together. So I want to give us a bracha that in these last little bits and we're in Kislev and it's, we're moving, we're a, a month of light, a month of power. We should tap into our light. Let it shine our way, and we'll be have, able to go to the base. I make sure to light them when I are there. Okay.